with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, we're going to be picking up where we left off last week in verse 6, and I'll be reading through to verse 14. So Galatians 3, verses 6 through 14. While, we're, while you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. Do you find it hard to, to or do you have a hard time with the relevance of the Old Testament? Do you ever read the Old Testament and think, man, I just don't know what to do with this? Let's be honest, it can be a struggle to visualize some of the places that the Bible talks about, let alone uh, pronounce the names of some of the words that are in there. It can be very hard to relate uh, to some of the people who we read about who lived so long ago, but whose experience on this earth was so very different from our own. Well, reading the book of Numbers can feel a bit like standing beside a, a monument for someone you've never heard about and never seen, it can also be like reading a family tree that's not your own. And it can, it can be hard to find things like that impactful. And it can be hard sometimes, I think, to, to read the stories and what is written in the Old Testament sometimes and to wonder how that's supposed to be impactful on the way we go to work or the way we study in school or the, the way we lay out our homes and keep our homes. But imagine finding out that the monument you're standing next to is for someone you're actually related to. Or imagine turning the page of that family history you're reading and then looking at the bottom and finding your own name there. It changes things, doesn't it? Because suddenly that monument, or that it ceases to just be a monument for some person. And those names on the page mean something for us because they mean something about who we are and how we, became, how we came to be where we are now. There's a number of reasons we can find maybe the Old Testament to be unwieldy. And I'm hoping this morning that, uh, that our passage will help you find meaning, personal meaning and connection for the Old Testament. If you struggle with finding the Old Testament to be relatable, I'm hoping to offer you a certain remedy from the book of Galatians. You see, the Bible tells a story, and that story is about the unveiling of God's work of redemption. We find significance to our personal story, our personal experience in this world because of the story of the Bible. The Old Testament isn't just a historical record about some people who lived at some time and did some things. It's God's revelation of himself to us. And we can come to grasp its relevance for us when we see how our individual experience connects to the greater work that he has been doing ever since he created the world. The Old Testament has a salvific purpose. You can't understand the significance of Jesus' cross unless you are familiar with what it says about God and his promise of salvation and his promise of redemption. Now, Paul told Timothy, he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which is the Old Testament which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man, the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture has a purpose for your life. 
And we see that purpose when we see it in the, in the scope of the grand design of redemption. In our passage this morning, we're going to learn a little bit about, uh, about that grand design, about the importance of the Old Testament and how it anchors the assurance of our hope in the power of the cross of Christ. When the Christians in Galatia were losing their grip on the power of the cross, when they were starting to look, to righteous, to look, look for righteousness that they could secure for themselves by keeping the law of Moses, Paul took them back to the Old Testament, to the days of Abraham, to show them God's plan of securing righteousness for his people has always been centered on faith in him. Paul's goal in this passage is to assure his readers of the power of the cross of Christ. And he does that by drawing a profound and deeply important connection between the faith of believers, so your faith and my faith and the faith of these Galatian believers and the faith of the man Abraham. So let's read about what he had to say to them to assure them of the power of the cross. I'll be reading from Galatians 3, uh, verses 6 through 14. If you would please stand for the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. And I'm going to start here in, actually in verse 5 and segue into our passage this morning. Paul asks, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Thank you. Please be seated. Now, you may remember that the churches in Galatia were struggling because certain false teachers had come into the church and they were saying that you could only be counted as one of God's people if you, if you kept the commands of the law of Moses. Now Paul has shown how this contradicted the gospel of grace that he had preached to the Galatians, which they had received from him, and that it also contradicted the testimony of the Holy Spirit, who they had received by faith. You can think of our passage this morning as part two of Paul's defense of the power of the cross, where he anchors the Galatians' experience of the Holy Spirit within the great big story of redemption. The Galatians were hungry to know that they were indeed part of the people of God, and so Paul proves to them from the authority of Scripture that they were indeed full-fledged sons and daughters of Abraham, having inherited his covenant blessings because they shared in his faith. 
You can see why Paul's argument here would, would matter so much for the situation going on in the Galatian churches. Paul spends a lot of time responding to the arguments of these men who were troubling the churches there, addressing this, the argument they were apparently making for circumcision and for keeping the Mosaic law, saying that a person could not receive the blessings of salvation without doing those things. And it's likely, we don't have any of their writings, so we don't know, but judging off the argument that Paul's making here, it's very likely that these men likely did a lot of reasoning specifically from Abraham and from God's covenant with him, since God gave Abraham and his descendants the right of circumcision to mark them as his covenant people and as inheritors of his covenant blessings. So Paul's engaging with a very important aspect of the Galatians' faith. And he makes two points here which are intended to assure believers of the power of the cross of Christ, looking at the Old Testament as his authority uh, for the salvation he preached. And he, he proves two things here. And we're going to, this is not our main idea, but we're going to kind of smash these together in our main idea. He proves two things here. First, he says that we are children of Abraham if we have faith like him. We are children of Abraham if we have faith like him. And second, Paul says that the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. So the main idea, then, of our text, of this passage, and of our sermon this morning, is that we are assured of the power of the cross of Christ because we have received the blessing of eternal life as children of Abraham. We are assured of the power of the cross of Christ because we have received the blessing of eternal life as the children of Abraham, having been counted the children of Abraham. So as we go through this passage, my prayer is that God will give you ownership of the legacy of faith that is yours if you're a believer in Christ Jesus. I want you to own this. I want you to feel. I want you to, to walk out of here this morning and start thinking of yourselves, of your titles. Maybe you have, maybe you have all these things, but a chief among them with child of God and co-heir with Christ is I'm a child of Abraham. I want you to seize that because Paul makes that very strong point here to the Galatian Christians and subsequently to us. My hope is that as we press into Paul's answer to three questions about faith, the blessings of Abraham, and the power of the cross of Christ, that you'll feel some sense of ownership in the story of redemption, and that that then will help the Bible come alive to you. So as you read the whole Bible and all that it has to say, you won't just see it as a story for someone else, but you'll see it as your own story and the legacy of the faith that you have received. So that's my goal, and I hope that God will bless this word for that. Uh, to you. So the three questions we're going to investigate in our time are these. And if you, if you have a copy of the sermon notes, you already have them out there, but they're simply this. The question is, how do we get righteousness? How do, how do we get righteousness? That's our first question. Our second question is, why can't we get eternal life through any other way than faith? Why can't we get eternal life through any other way than faith? And finally, our third question will be, why does everything come down to faith in Christ? Why does everything come down to faith in Christ? So the first question we want to ask and answer is, how do we get righteousness? How do we get righteousness specifically that leads to eternal life? Well, when Paul wanted to assure the believers in Galatia about the power of the cross of Christ, he began 
with their own experience of the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. That is what we looked at last week. Now, Paul shows them how that experience, that experience, the power of the Holy Spirit in them, actually accords with the testimony of Scripture and what, through what it says about the blessings of Abraham. And we know from our passage last week that the Galatians had experienced the power of the cross because of the way that the Holy Spirit was at work in them. We, we know, that they know that they knew about the power of the cross because they had experienced it. They had received the Holy Spirit when they heard and believed the gospel of grace. As they grew in grace, it was the Holy Spirit, Paul says, who was at work in them, applying the power of the cross of Christ to them, which is to say they were being perfected by the Spirit to, to be like Jesus. And then furthermore, Paul indicates that God had worked among them miracles. And so they had these physical displays of God's power which were being provided by the Holy Spirit working in and through them. So they had experienced the power of the cross. And the Galatians' experience of the power of the cross through the work of the Holy Spirit in and among them, you can think of it, I think, as a, as a precious diamond. Something they could hold up and look at and be amazed at. A diamond is a beautiful thing in and of itself. But a diamond needs a ring if a bride is going to wear it on her finger. A well-designed ring will not only secure a diamond, but it will draw attention to it, and it amplifies the glory and the significance of that stone. And it lets all who see it know about how much the bridegroom loves his bride. Furthermore, that ring, sometimes uh, it becomes a sort of guarantee of the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman, a signal of their love and commitment. So a diamond needs the setting. It needs the ring. And if we think about the experience of the Galatians of the Holy Spirit as that diamond, then the, the ring, we would have to say, which holds that on the finger of the church, is the covenant of blessing that God made to Abraham in Genesis 15, which was fulfilled by and expanded by Christ when he came and established a new and better covenant on the cross. So if we think about everything the Galatians experienced, Paul is showing how the setting that holds that up is the blessing that God had promised to Abraham to save his, a people for himself and to multiply them into nations. Now we're meant to catch the connection between the experience of the Spirit which the Galatians had received by faith and the blessings of righteousness which were counted to Abraham for for his face here in verse 6. Paul brings attention to it in verse 6. Now the transition here from the personal experience of the Galatians and then what the scriptures said about Abraham is so smooth that scholars have the hardest time figuring out whether or not this is a complete thought or whether we're just supposed to read this in as one complete idea. So uh, it's really hard to draw a line, and it's meant to be that way because the connection of the experience of the Galatians and the history of faith and the story of God's redemption are meant to like connect here. Um, it's, it's so smooth, and uh, it's, it's absolutely wild. And what Paul's communicating to the Galatians in doing this is he wants them to see their own experience of the power of God, which is at work in them through their faith in Christ, and how it fits into God's redemption story. And while there are other places he could go in the Old Testament to show this connection, the main focus we find uh, is specifically here to Abraham and his righteousness and how God counted him righteous on account of his faith. 
Paul is relating the Galatians' own experience to the power of the cross to the faith of Abraham so that they will know that righteousness is not received by works of the law, but by faith. And this faith links them to an ancient inheritance which goes all the way back to, to Genesis 15.6, which, which uh, Brad uh, read for us, which is what Paul is quoting here when he says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now this is an important moment in Paul's appeal to the Galatians. God had made a covenant with Abraham, a promise to bless him and to make him a blessing for all the families of the earth. That blessing, that promise, was a promise of salvation and redemption and of fellowship with God as his covenant people. Now the false teachers who had come into Galatia were arguing that you couldn't get those blessings of salvation unless you kept the law. Paul is showing that the blessings of Abraham, this salvation, this righteousness, this life, isn't a matter of works, but that it is a matter of faith and faith alone. Paul is drawing a connection between the Galatians' own experience and what Scripture had to say about how Abraham was counted righteous by God because of the way he believed God. It's almost as if I was trying to visualize what this looked like. I was struggling so bad finding an illustration for this. And this is kind of what comes to mind. It's almost as if Paul handed the Galatians a snapshot of themselves. Like he, he took this Polaroid picture and then he handed it to them. And it was filled with the colors of the blessings they had received and all the beautiful colors of the Spirit's work in them which they had received by faith. And now he's taking this clear overlay and setting it down on top of that picture. And the lines are the lines of Scripture and it shows them how they are a part. It fills out and gives definition to their faith so that they know that their own experience fit into what God's word said about his, his, God's plan of redemption. This connection is meant to give definition to what the Galatians had experienced in the Holy Spirit as he worked in them. More than that, this connection drives home the power of the cross because it shows us that the blessing that God had promised to Abraham was indeed received not through works of the law, but through faith. Abraham was justified. He was counted righteous because of faith. And the reason that's so important, and the reason it's so important that God counted Abraham righteous because of faith, the reason this mattered for the Galatians and the reason it matters for us is explained for us in verse 7 where Paul says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So that connection means this, that you, if you are a believer, if you are of faith, then you are a son, and that includes all of you, irrespective of whether or not you're a man or a woman, you are an heir of Abraham. And if you are a son of Abraham, verse 9 tells us, you are then an inheritor of the blessings of Abraham, who Paul goes so far as to call the man of faith. So Paul conceives of Abraham in two important ways. First, he looks at Abraham as a model. He looks at Abraham as a model, the way a father is called to be a model to his children. It has been amazing and truly humbling to be a dad and to watch how Titus imitates everything he sees me do and everything he and to say what he hears me say Paul calls Abraham the man of faith 
Sonship in the Bible means more than just sharing your last name with someone or living in the same house. It means that you imbibe their character. You do what they do. You live like they live. Like father is, so son is. Sons are reflections of their father, and they receive the blessings and the inheritance of their father. When God called Abraham, he made a binding promise with him. He said he would bless him and that he would make him a blessing, that he would multiply him and make him the father of many nations. That blessing was more than just getting land in the Middle East. It was a blessing of redemption, of righteousness and eternal life. You want to be a son of Abraham because you want that blessing. But being a son of Abraham isn't a matter of flesh and blood. John the Baptist told the Pharisees and the Sadducees, descendants of Abraham, in Matthew 3, verses 7 through 9, bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to, from these stones, to raise up children for Abraham. How is that possible? Because sonship is not a matter of having Abraham's DNA. It's a matter of sharing with him in the righteousness that comes by having faith like his. This is the blessing that God gave to Abraham. And the blessings of the father are the blessings inherited by his sons. We are joined into Abraham's family when we follow his example of faith. Just as he was counted righteous when he believed God, so we receive righteousness when we put our faith in Christ, who is the fulfillment of the blessings and the promises of the covenant that God had made to Abraham when he set him apart to be a blessing to the world. So the short answer to our question, how do we get this righteousness? Is that we receive it through faith the way Abraham did. And we can rightly say that he is our father if we follow after him and have a faith like he had. Only our faith is more specific because in the progression of the story of redemption, God has revealed Jesus as the obedient son who brings all of God's promises to pass and who secures the blessings that God preached to Abraham. Which then brings us to the second way that Paul conceived of Abraham and and this importance in the story of redemption which is that he conceived Abraham as the mechanism of this righteousness. Now look look at verse 7. He says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. God made some stupendous promises to Abraham. He told Abraham that he would be his God and that Abraham and his descendants would be, would be his people. He, he placed special favor on Abraham and on his house. When Abraham had no heir to receive the, God's promises and the promises of his covenant, God gave him one. He gave him Isaac. And to Isaac, God gave Jacob. And to Jacob, God gave the twelve tribes of Israel. And to Israel, he gave the land of Canaan to be a place where his glory and his presence dwelled and where they dwelled with him. He made Abraham's house to be a light to the nations. But that was not the full extent of God's blessing and God's promise because it was through Abraham that God was bringing about a new and better Adam 
whose faithfulness and obedience and whose sacrifice would bring righteousness to the world. When you read verse 7, you get the impression that while Abraham may not have realized the full extent of what God was going to be doing in him and through him, he knew and believed the gospel before Christ had come. Because God had promised and preached to him that he would justify the nations of the world through faith. I love that. Scripture was laying the groundwork, exposing God's plan of salvation that early. You're 15 chapters into the Bible, and God is talking about how he's going to bless the nations through the descendant of Abraham. And as God preached that, he set into motion uh, the plan that he had established, we're told, before the foundations of the earth were even set, Ephesians 1, 4. And so God is there as he's telling Abraham of how he's going to bless him and make him a blessing, preaching salvation of, by faith to Abraham. And the assurance we have from Genesis 15, 6 is that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. The link between Abraham's faith and ours is stronger perhaps than maybe we realized when we first came in here today. The cross really wasn't plan B, was it? And Paul is showing very clearly to the Galatians that their righteousness and their membership in the people of God really is a matter of faith in Christ and not works of the law. In Romans 4, Paul explains the significance of having Abraham for our father a bit further. He says that Abraham received circumcision, but that he did so after his faith had been counted to him as righteousness. And the purpose of this was so that Abraham might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness will be counted to them as well. And then in verse uh, 23, he says, But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification which is another way of saying of our, us being counted righteous before God. That brings us to consider the gospel and the answer to our question, how can we get this righteousness? We get it through faith in the Son of God who died for us, who was raised for us, so that if we have faith in Him, we know that we have peace through Him. That is what it means to say, I am a son or I am a daughter of Abraham. When you read the Old Testament, you're not reading someone else's history. You are reading about your own. Because of Christ, this is your story. This is your hope. And you have a bond with the promises of Abraham and the blessings of the righteousness that were counted to him because of his face that, that, that go deeper than flesh and blood. You are part of his family if you put your faith in Jesus who is Abraham's son and Abraham's Lord. And that, when you understand that, will do immeasurable amounts of work in your heart for you as you read the Old Testament. It, it does a lot, too, when you realize that the gospel that was preached to him, this gospel of faith, is the same gospel that you've believed. Only you see the blessings of Abraham clearer than even he did. Jesus told the Jews in John 8, 56, that Abraham rejoiced to see my day. 
Oh, what a joy it is, not just to know that we've been linked to this rich heritage of faith, because we know of the righteousness of Christ and our faith in Him, but to know that we actually share in the same joy that Abraham had, because the Son of God, King Jesus, made it so. So, that is how we receive this righteousness. Let's look at the second, our second question, which is why, we can't, why can't we get this through any other means? Well, the issue going on in Galatia had to do with the role of faith, works, and how we get included in the blessings of salvation which God had, made to, had promised to Abraham. The false teachers were saying that you got those blessings when you came under the yoke of the law, when you embraced union with Abraham, not through his faith, but through his circumcision. But Paul has shown that membership in the household of Christ is indeed a matter of faith. The blessings of righteousness, the way uh, we're counted as innocent in the sight of God, is a matter of faith in Christ, not works of the law. And so he shows why there's no other way to get this righteousness except through faith by showing how the law results in a curse for us since we can't keep it. Look at verse 10. Paul says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, there's a big difference then, isn't there, between the blessings of Abraham, which we've seen are received through faith, and the curse of the law, which rests on all who rely on the law for their righteousness and for membership in the household of God. That curse has to do not so much with the law itself, but with the corruption that is within those who hope to earn their place before God through their works. The reason the law brings a curse on those who rely on it to receive righteousness, the way these false teachers in Galatia were preaching, is that the law curses everyone who does not abide by everything that is written in it. So whether we're talking about the most Jewish Jew or the most Gentilish Gentile, the law condemns them both under a curse because it exposes the sinfulness of their hearts and their actions. The curse of the law is the curse of our disobedience to it. The law can't make a person righteous in the sight of God because it is the standard. It has no power to impute righteousness to us. And according to verse 11, the law then can't bring the blessing of life the way faith does, the way it did in the case of Abraham, who believed God and it was counted to him as as righteousness. The blessing of faith is the promise of eternal life and and freedom from the corruption of sin. It is union with God and a relationship like he created us to have in the first place. This is why we, above all things, should desire righteousness like Abraham had. Because, in the second part of verse 11, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And that's not just living on this earth. That is life like Christ came to bring. He is the truth, the life, and the way. Now, contrary to what was being taught by these men who were troubling the Galatian churches, Paul says, the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live, shall live by them. So the law offered a chance to live, but it had no power to raise the dead. John Bunyan, I think, puts it really well when he says, run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. We have more to say in the book of Galatians about the law and its role. 
But for now, it's best to see the point Paul is making about why faith is the only way we can receive this righteousness that leads to eternal life. We don't have the strength to lift the curse of sin that rests over our dead hearts. We're like Lazarus in the tomb, consigned to the darkness of our rebellion, our only hope being rescue by faith in the Son of God. That is why we can't rescue ourselves through any other way. And that brings us to our third question, the answer of our third question, which is why does this all come down to faith in Christ? Why does this all come down to faith in Christ? This is the moment where seeing our connection to Abraham fuels our assurance in the power of Jesus' cross. Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So Paul emphasizes three things about the power of Jesus' cross, and how he fulfills the blessing of God's covenant with Abraham through his atoning sacrifice. And we're going to touch on each one of those three points in our conclusion. The first is this. We see that when Jesus went to the cross, he went to suffer under the curse of our sin and the curse of death, which was demanded by the law. The law curses all who do not live by it. Because of our sinful nature, there is not one person who is righteous, or who can secure righteousness through the law, because no one is made righteous by the law. The righteous live by faith, Paul says. So the cross was necessary, because that's the place where Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So when we look at the cross, when we consider the pain and the agony of the cross, we must understand that it is so much more than the physical suffering that Jesus endured. There were many faithful Jews who were crucified under the cruel tyranny of Rome. None of them suffered the way Jesus did. Because when Jesus came to the cross, he became a cursed thing. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. As 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice. He was born under the law, but he was not a transgressor of the law. Rather, he was the fulfiller of the law. And through his obedience, and then through his suffering, he redeemed us by enduring the consequence of death and judgment which is due to all who do not keep the law. You cannot make sense of the gospel or of the cross if you do not accept Jesus as your substitute who died in your place to satisfy the perfect justice of the law. It is an insult to the throne of Christ to make the cross a mere example of love or to call it a mistake or to say like some do that it is a moment of divine child abuse. That is an insult to Christ. The Son of God embraced the cross willingly according to the will of God the Father because of love. He loved us and gave himself up for us so that the curse of sin and the law might be removed from us. Do you see how the false gospel that was becoming so attractive 
to the churches in Galatia was so dangerous. They were being led back into the curse that Jesus had died to save them from. And so we repeat their error when we think that we can add to the sacrifice of Christ, that we can secure acceptance before God through our actions and through our deeds. Your only hope of being rescued is to embrace the fact that Jesus suffered in your place, took the curse of your sin from you, and went to the cross. The second thing that Paul assures us about the power of the cross and and tells us about the power of the cross is that he tells us that when Jesus took that cross, he secured the blessing of Abraham for all who believe. So now we're seeing how the cross of Christ relates to the blessing of Abraham. Look at verse 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Now let's be really careful here. Paul is not excluding the Jews from the blessing of Christ's cross or the blessing of Abraham's faith. He's writing to Gentile believers who were being told that they had to come under the law, that they had to become Jews if they wanted to become part of God's people and enjoy the blessings of Abraham, which were for his offspring. Paul tells them that because Jesus became a curse on the cross and removed the curse from us, the blessing of Abraham are theirs. They are for all who put their faith in Christ. They are heirs of Abraham, and so are we as well when we are joined to him in this connection of faith. Part of seeing the significance of the gospel story that is told by Scripture, which is preached to us both in Old and New Testament, is seeing the significance of Jesus' work and how all of God's promises find their yes and amen in him. You get to lay claim to the blessings of life and to the blessing of the gospel that God preached to Abraham, which caused him to take joy in the day of Christ because Jesus took your curse and paid for it and expanded the blessing of his righteousness to you, which we now receive through faith. This, that is the gospel, friends. That is the gospel. And it, we are connected to this ancient storyline that tells us about God and his faithfulness. This is God's story, and we are part of it. We've been made inheritors of the full picture of this gospel. We have received what men like Noah and Isaac and Jacob and David and Daniel and Jeremiah and Isaiah looked forward to by faith and longed for. As Hebrews 11.39 says, And all these though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The way to respond to seeing our place in God's grand design is to see that since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, since we've been made partakers of the blessing of God's covenant promises in Christ, We must set aside everything that gets in the way of this. We must fight by the power of the Spirit, the desires of flesh, which clings so closely to us, and run this life like a race, with endurance, looking to Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. The cross of Christ assures us as the fulfillment of God's promises, and the fact that we are linked by faith to Abraham having been made participants with him in this blessing of righteousness by faith in Christ, gives us hope that he will indeed fulfill all of his promises. 
Do you realize that God's faithfulness to Abraham and to Noah and to David are showing you that the promises he makes to us, his church, especially that he is coming back to set up his kingdom forever, will come true. God makes impossible promises and he delivers on those promises through the power of the cross of Christ. The third thing that Paul points out about the power of the cross and our link to Abraham is that he shows us the link between our faith and the faith of Abraham and the blessing and the promise that God made to him in the cross and he identifies it as the spirit of God who lives in us. Look at verse 14. In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham has come to the Gentiles so that, so that, so this is purpose. This is, this is the result of Jesus' work, fulfilling the blessing of Abraham, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is where the experience of the work of the Holy Spirit and our connection to Abraham and the blessing of the covenant God made with him comes together as one. This is when we see all the pieces coming together and why they matter. Remember, the Holy Spirit assures us of the power of the cross of Christ and the sufficiency of the gospel of grace that Paul had preached to the Galatians, which they had received. And now Paul is, is drawing the connections of this promise and the blessing of Abraham through the experience of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit testifies that we are indeed the children of God if we have trusted in Christ for our salvation. The argument Paul is making to the Galatians is that they can know that they are members of Christ's kingdom because they have received the Holy Spirit through faith, not through works. So, taking what we looked at last week, we've really come full circle, right? We've seen the significance of the Galatians' own experience of the Spirit within the context of the greater blessings that God made to Abraham. In Isaiah 44, starting verse 3, God spoke about a day when he would pour out his spirit on his people in a way that he had not to that point. This is what he says. I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last. Beside me there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare it and set it before me since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witness. Is there a God beside me? There is no rock. I know not any. Do you know who lays claim to that title, the first and the last in the book of Revelation? It is the Lamb of God. It is Jesus Christ in whom the blessings of Abraham are realized. He is our hope. He is our Redeemer. He is our King, the Lord of hosts. 
when Paul says that the Gentiles have now received the blessings of the Holy Spirit, he's talking to the Galatians, and he's talking to you and to me. Christ ushered in a new age, an age where membership among his people is a matter of faith in him, and an age where he pours out his Spirit on people like you and me and makes them new and cleanses them through the work of his cross and ushers in a new age and a new kingdom where God's people live by faith in the power of his cross and are sealed by the indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit. That's the blessing. So it means a lot to say, I'm a child of Abraham because now I have this legacy of faith in Christ which secures me in a powerful promise that can't be broken. We have a rich heritage in Christ. A heritage that makes this book so precious because it is written for us. And the story it tells us is the story of the power of the cross, which is our assurance of the hope that is to come. May God give us faith to trust Christ for that blessing. Let's pray. Holy Father, who could have anticipated what you were doing when you took Abraham out of his tent, that lowly sojourner, and said to him, look at the heavens, number the stars. If you are able, so will your descendants be. Father, uh, the more we have understood about the heavens, the more staggering that promise becomes. Because those pinpricks of, of light We know some of them are galaxies. And we stand in awe because you were doing what no one saw coming, even though you preached it from the beginning when you told Eve of a snake crusher who would remove sin from his people. Father, we we stand astonished in that heritage. And there's so much going on in our world right now that would seek to try to, to try to off throw our to throw off our faith in the in in the security of your promises. There are mockers who say, "Where is he?" It's been two thousand years, and they do not know that you are not slow as they count slowness, but that you are having mercy towards them, not desiring that any should perish, but that all should come to faith in Christ. And yet, Father, you do secure the glory of your Son. And you are putting his enemies under his feet as his footstool. We stand in fear of him and in love of him. We thank you, Father, that all of the blessings of Christ, or of, 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 the, of God, of you, have found their yes and amen in the terminus of him. And that we will exalt in his glory forever. We thank you for the promises and the way you have kept your promises in the ages before us and how you are keeping them and will keep them in the ages to come. We ask for strength and courage to live in the life of Christ and in the faith of Christ. And we ask that you would secure us in this hope. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.